Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. You and I are part of a much bigger story. By that I mean it's not just about you and it's not just about me. We're a part of something bigger. And that's really the premise behind a little book that was written by a man named John Eldridge. If you've never read this little book, I recommend it. The title of the book is just called Epic. And it's a book that is all about the story of God. I want to read you a little section out of that book. Listen to what John Eldridge said. Now I have a confession to make. Ever since I began to believe in God, I have pictured God as alone, sovereign, powerful, all that, but by Himself. Perhaps the notion sprang from the fact that I felt myself to be alone in the universe. Or perhaps it came from the religious images of God seated on a great throne way up there somewhere. How wonderful to discover that God has never been alone. He has always been Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always been a fellowship. This whole story began with something relational. Let me read it to you from the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let, say the next word out loud, That'll muddy up your theology. <laughs> then God said, let us. That's awesome. Let us make man in, say the next word out loud. Our, Our image. You hear the plurality. According to, say it again. Our, like us, our, our you hear what John Eldridge is talking about? That this all began in something relational. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. But then skip down to chapter 2 and verse 18 and look what the Bible says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be, what? Say it out loud. 
You see, the whole story of humanity began in the fellowship of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And one dimension of our being made in His image, in His likeness, is that you and I were created for relationships. Rick Warren said it this way, We are created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family. And none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. The story of God began in the fellowship of the Trinity. And that story that is being played out now in humanity, one of the aspects of, of us as human beings being made in His image is that we were created for relationships. That's why God said at the very beginning when He created human beings, He said it's not good for us to be alone. The word good there in Hebrew is a word that literally means best. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you would like to experience the absolute best life possible? Let me see your hand. Right? I mean, I don't think anybody in here went, nah, I'll settle for average. I'll take a C-plus existence, right? No, we all want the very best life possible. Well, here's what the Bible says. Apart from fellowship or relationship with other people, we will never know the best life God has for us. He said it's not good, it's not best for man to be alone. The word alone means to be separated from others without the help and support of other people. Here's the bottom line. The very best God has for you and me will never be experienced apart from relationships with others. And think about it. You don't even have to be a Christian to see that premise fleshed out. In, even people that don't follow Jesus would say, yeah, really, life, its real meaning, significance, and value is found in your relationships with other people, with family, with friends, with people that you care about. Without, without relationships, life really has no meaning, significance, or value. And that's true for all of humanity. So when you really begin to talk about following Jesus, it only raises that standard to the degree that we say it this way at Hope. The life of a Jesus follower is all about, say it out loud, relationships. We're studying together this series, The Life of a Jesus Follower, and we've been unpacking that premise that following Jesus is really all about relationships. And for the last three weekends, we've been talking very specifically about a relationship that we have uh, summarized with this key word, abide. That first and foremost, following Jesus is about a personal love relationship with God. Before it's anything else, being a Jesus follower is about knowing God personally, about fellowshipping with God daily, and the, the real goal of the Christian life is just to know God by being with Him. And if you miss that, you miss everything else about following Jesus. All of the rest of it doesn't make sense apart from a relationship with God. So let me just say right up front, if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with God, we would pray today that you would give your life to Jesus Christ and experience a relationship with God. Let me, let me just be as honest as I can be. Our church can't change your life. Religion cannot change your life. 
But Jesus Christ, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ can change your life. If, if Jesus has changed your life, say amen. amen. There's a testimony. You just heard it. If you don't know Christ, today you can give your life to Jesus. But, but following Jesus is not just about a relationship with God. Although God designed our relationship with Him to be personal, it was never His design for that relationship to be private. God created us to know Him and to love Him, but out of our relationship with Him, God made us to live in fellowship with other people, to enjoy our relationship with Him in the context of our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this was not just true in the book of Genesis when God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. This was also true in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity without community. Let me show it to you. Look at a couple of verses on the screen. And if, if uh, in the seat pockets there in front of you, if you didn't get one as you came in, we got the listening guides. You can read along with us and, and write in these blanks. And some of these verses are listed there as well. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now let me tell you what's happening here. In Acts chapter 2, it's what's called the day of Pentecost. It's really the birth of New Testament community. It's the birth of the local church here in Jerusalem. Acts 2, 41, look what the Bible says. So then those who had received His word were baptized. And that day there were, say the next word out loud, added about 3,000 souls. These people heard the gospel. They embraced the gospel. They received Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were born again into relationship with God. And the Bible says they were added. Now, it's important here where it says that in verse 41, it's in the passive voice, meaning they did not add themselves to something, but that God supernaturally, by His Spirit, the moment they began a relationship with God, God added them to something. The word add means to join together with. He says it again down in verse 47. Look at it. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What were they being added to? Here's what they were being added to. The community of believers. You see, they lived in the city of Jerusalem. But in the city of Jerusalem, there was this new family, the family of God, these followers of Jesus. And every time somebody began a relationship with God, immediately God supernaturally added them to his family. We were born again in a relationship with God to be lived out in fellowship with God's family. I'll say it again. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity without community. It's a very important thing because we live in a very independent Western culture where we think often that my relationship with God's personal is just between me and him. I don't really need anything else. I have a choice to make about whether or not... No, that's not the Christianity of the Bible. The Christianity of this book did not exist apart from fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are trying to live out your faith, if you're trying to live out following Jesus apart from a relationship with His family, the Bible has two words for that. Not good. It's not good. It's not best. Think about the New Testament. Past the Gospels and the book of Acts. Every book that was written was either written addressed to a community of believers 
or it was written to affect a community of believers. The book of Galatians in the Bible, what was it? It was a letter written to the community of believers living in Galatia. The book of Romans, what was it? It was a letter written to the community of believers living in Rome. The book of Thessalonians, what was it? It was a book written to the community of believers living in Thessalonica. Aha, the book of 1 Timothy, it was written to Timothy, yes, but did you read it? The book of 1 Timothy was written to establish leadership in the community of believers and to talk about how that leadership was to lead and how the body of Christ was to function. Now, I know what some of you Bible scholars are thinking. You forgot about one book, the book of Philemon. It's written to one guy. Well, have you read that one lately? You know what it's about? Philemon and another brother named Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus had, had fallen apart. They had a, a rift in their relationship. And Paul is writing to Philemon to restore and reconcile that relationship with another brother in Christ. Every New Testament letter is written either about or to affect a, the, the community of believers. So the key word that we want to introduce to you this weekend is this second key word. And it's the word said out loud connect. Following Jesus is first and foremost about a relationship with God, but then it spills into a relationship with God's family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember what we're doing in this series. We're creating a paradigm so that you and I can lay it down on our lives and ask, ask the question, am I faithfully following Jesus? Well, here's question number one. Am I living in an intimate love relationship with God that's daily and personal where I'm spending time with God and living all of my life out of the overflow of intimacy with God? Here's the next question. Am I living my life in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I doing life with them? Am I living in community in the family of God? So what I want to do this morning is give you three big realities that exist in the life of a Jesus follower as it relates to this principle of connecting. And, and hear me say this, these are realities. They're not possibilities. What I'm about to share with you based on the scripture is truth about you if you're a follower of Jesus. Here's the first one. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the family of God. Let me show it to you in the Bible. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Look what it says. But as many as received Him, it's talking about Jesus, so everybody who receives Jesus, to them He gave the, say the next word out loud, right. It's a word that means power, authority, or liberty. It's a judicial term. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on His name. The moment I began a relationship with God through Jesus, the Bible says that God gave me the right to be called a child of God. 
one of the blessings of being a part of Hope is that we start a lot of churches out of our church here in Las Vegas. And we're blessed to be able to do that. One of our church planners that we sent out a couple of years ago, you'll remember his name, Zeke Tomaselli. Zeke and Lane Tomaselli. Zeke came to Christ here at Hope, discipled here at Hope, raised up here at Hope. And then he was originally from Hilo, Hawaii. God burdened his heart for his hometown. And we sent Zeke and Lane a couple of years ago back to Hilo, Hawaii to birth Ohana Church, and their church is doing wonderful. They're actually planting a church out of their church. They're working among the uh, Pacific Rim to reach peoples that have never heard the gospel before. God is blessing Zeke and Lane Tomaselli. But one of the ways that God blessed them is Zeke and Lane have been fostering a couple of little boys in the foster care system there in Hawaii. And this past week, the judge declared these two little boys are now officially adopted by Zeke and Lane. I want to show you the picture. Check the picture out. Here's the picture. Now, now, here's why I'm telling you that. Get, you see those two little boys? One's, one's up there doing this, you know, you see him, and the other one's standing on the ground, the two little guys with the matching shirts. That's their two new sons. Zeke put out a text and a tweet with this picture, and he said, look at my boys. I love my boys. Now, here's what that means. That judge in the middle this past week made a declaration. Those two boys now have the right to be called the sons of Zeke and Lane. Now, here's what that means. Everything that belongs to Zeke and Lane now belongs to those two boys because there has been a judicial act take place. They were outside of this family, but now they have been brought into this family. Now they belong to the Tomaselli family. Here's what I want you to hear me say. The moment you and I were born again in a relationship with God, the moment we turned from our sins, God made a declarative judgment. We have been called the sons and daughters of God. Get this. Get this. Everything that belongs to him now belongs to me. Because you have a relationship with God, you now have a relationship with God's family. Let me show it to you in another place in the Bible. Romans chapter 8, look at it. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, look what he says. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. What's unfortunate is that's where a lot of Christians live. They think, now i got this relationship with God, now he, he's the, the master, and I'm just supposed to do everything he says, and i got to focus on being obedient. Listen, I'm not saying obedience isn't part of it, but that's not the spirit we've been given. You don't have to live in fear of God. Look what he says. You've received what? A spirit of, say it out loud, adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba. It's a word in the Greek language that literally means daddy. It's a term of intimacy, a term of endearment. We can now approach God and say, Daddy, Father. Then look what it says. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, what does it say? Are. Did you hear that? Not will be, not might be, not hope to be. We are the children of God. Here's what it means. Following Jesus means that you belong. Amen. You belong to the family of God. I want you to say that. I want you to say, I belong to the family of God. Say it out loud. I belong to the family of God. Say it one more time with me. I belong to the family of God. That's good news. Here's what that means today when you woke up. You're not working your way in. You're in. 
Your status in the family today is not rooted in your performance. Your status in the family today is rooted in your position in Christ. You and I belong to the family of God. That There are two common misunderstandings that we make in thinking about this. Some people have the idea that now I have a relationship with God, but I have a decision to make about whether or not I want to be a part of God's family. That's wrong thinking. When you got married, if you're married in the room, family came with the deal. Right? Hey, whether you wanted it or not, that intimate love relationship came with a package. When you came to know the Lord, you got us. You don't have a decision to make about whether or not you want to live out on an island somewhere. Unfortunately, another common misunderstanding, some Christians had a bad experience in a church. And because of a bad experience in the church, they walked away from God's family. Listen, just because sometimes things can be challenging and difficult, we don't throw out the biblical concept just because of a bad example or experience. God in His infinite wisdom has given us a, a, a guidebook. God has given us insights into how we're to function, and we're to function inside of the family of God. Anybody in the room ever watch the Discovery Channel? You know that scene they play where the lion is out there prowling low in the grass, and there's this herd of gazelle? How's it turn out for the one out there by himself? Two words for you. Not good. <laughs> the Bible says that we have an enemy in the book of James. We have an enemy that is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if you're the one that drifts off by yourself, not good. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. Now, I'm not saying that this diminishes our physical families. I'm just saying that now you and I are a part of something that is so much bigger than that. When I make the statement that as his follower, we now belong to something bigger than our physical family. Listen, when you read this book and you read the story of Moses and of Abraham and of David and of Jonah and of Jesus and of Peter and of Paul, let me tell you what you're reading. You're reading the history of your family. When you and I go overseas and we visit Africa or we visit Asia or we visit Central America and we see God's activity and we meet those brothers and sisters, we are visiting our family. When you and I read the end of the book and we read about Revelation, how one day we're going to gather around the throne of God and Jesus is going to be king and we're going to reign with him, we're reading the future of our family. Why? Because that's who we are. We belong to the family of God. The bottom line is you will never know the best God has for you apart from a relationship with him and his family. We sang it a moment ago. You need us, and we need you. 
We said last weekend that humility says, God, I need you. But let me tell you what else humility says. Humility says, God, I need others. We don't just need God. We need each other. So let me give you the second reality. It is impossible to be right with God and not be right with God's family. It's impossible. You cannot be right with God and not be right with God's family. Last weekend, I read you a verse of Scripture out of John 14. I want to put it back up on the screen. John 14, 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we talked about last weekend. That's not Jesus saying, if you love me, you better obey me. That's Jesus saying, if you love me. Obedience is going to spill out of your life. Obedience is not the focus. It's the fruit of the life of a believer that's focused on intimacy with God. Christ changes me from the inside out so that what comes out of me is not a better me, but it's literally Christ in me. Jesus made that statement in John 14, and then we read it last week, and he actually made that statement five more times in John 14. When you love me, obedience comes out. When you love me, obeying my commands, keeping my word comes out. And then he gets into John 15, and he says, just in case you didn't understand what I said five times, let me give you a picture. And he uses this vine and branches principle that we don't have time to unpack this morning, but that Christ in us, living through us, as we abide in him. Jesus said, here's a picture. And then we get to John 15, verse 12. Look what he says. This is my... Say it out loud. Now, you cannot miss the context. Five times he just said, if you love me, You're going to keep my commandment. If you love me, obedience is going to spill out of your life. And then he gives us this picture of what it looks like as we abide in him. And then he says, hey, here's what it looks like. This is my commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Here's what that means. The first obvious evidence that I am in a right relationship with God is that I love God's family. The first, the first evidence. Listen, we have been given the gospel of reconciliation. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. That we have the gospel of reconciliation. What a beautiful word. Reconciliation means bringing together those who are separate. And we understand that the gospel reconciles us horizontally. Amen? We were not right with God. But what Jesus did in the gospel has now made it possible for you and I to be right with God. The gospel is a ministry of reconciliation. But listen, here's what he's saying. The gospel is not just a ministry of reconciliation this way. The gospel is also a ministry of reconciliation this way. And the way that I know that I've experienced reconciliation this way is that I begin to have reconciliation this way. Just in case you think I'm reading too much into it, I want you to see what John said. 
In 1 John chapter 4, now John, let me warn you, is not politically correct. Okay? He doesn't run his words through a committee to make sure they're going to test well. Listen to what he said. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, I'm just reading it. Don't get mad at me. My dad used to say, I'm not the editor. I'm just the delivery boy, all right? Lord, I love you. I just don't like them. Here's what the Word of God says about you, liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we've heard from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I don't hate him. <laughs> I mean, he said, he said, hate him. I don't hate him. I'd just rather not be around him. Well, now, the word hate is a word that literally, here's what it means in the Greek language, ill feelings that affect the way you act towards them. If I've got resentment, if I've got bitterness, if I've got anger, if I've got unforgiveness in my heart towards a brother or sister in Christ, and I'm parading around like everything between me and God is good, here's what the Bible says. You are lying to yourself, and you are lying to the people around you. Because you cannot be walking in fellowship and harmony with God and not be walking in fellowship and harmony with your brother and sister in Christ. It cannot coexist. And Jesus laid it on real thick when Jesus said in John 15 that we're to love one another just as I have loved you. You ever read anything in the Bible about how Jesus loved us? Sacrificial, unconditional, unending, unchanging I know what we're thinking. I can't do that. There's no way. And get me, listen, you're right. You and I can't do that. But Christianity is not you and me living for Jesus. Christianity is Jesus living in and through us out of the overflow of an abiding relationship with Him. So to the degree that I'm pursuing intimacy with Christ and Christ in me begins to live through me, guess what? I have the capacity through Christ in me to love you just as Christ has loved me. But it pushes us right back to intimacy with Him. Not trying harder to love our brother. Listen to what Roy Hessian said. In his book, The Calvary Road, Roy Hessian said, Everything that comes as a barrier between us and another, be it ever so small, comes as a barrier between us and God. Our relationship with our fellows and our relationship with God are so linked that we cannot disturb one without disturbing the other. Now, just to show you that Roy Hessian is not overstating the principle, I want to read you something in the Bible that says basically the same thing. Matthew chapter 5, look what it says on the screen. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, here's what he's saying. If you're a church, worshiping God, giving your offering, listening to the music, listening to the preaching, and there you remember... 
that your brother has something against you? You're in the middle of worship. God's moving, the word's being preached. We're worshiping, singing, praising, giving testimony, and the Holy Spirit of God says to you in your soul, hey, there is something between you and your brother or sister in Christ that is not right. Look what he says. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come back to church. Worship God. I believe there's a unique manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God when we gather together. We are always indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is always with us. But there's a unique manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God when we come together in worship where the Spirit of God manifests His presence among us together. You know what's tough sometimes? When you're in leadership in a service like this, there are some weekends you walk in, man, and it's like just sliding in butter. I mean, it's just, you can just feel the presence of God, the Spirit of God. And then there are other weekends you come in, we're doing the same thing, we're singing the same songs, we're praying, we're preaching, and it's like running around in peanut butter. I mean, it's just... And you know what I think makes a difference sometimes? Here's what I believe makes a difference. I think some of us come in here sometimes not right with our brother and sister in Christ, and we quench the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why he said, if you're at church and something's not right, hey, get out of church, go get that brother, get it right, then come. Let me give you the third reality, and we're done this morning. My relationship with God grows by fellowship with God's family. Because I have a relationship with God, I have a relationship with God's family. It's impossible to be right with God and not be right with God's family. And then third, my relationship with God grows by fellowship with God's family. You see, here's the big picture. It's my relationship with God that enables me to fully enjoy my relationship with others. But it's my relationship with others that God uses to deepen my relationship with Him. You see, it's because I know Him that I've been given by grace this incredible relationship with you. But it's my relationship with you that deepens and grows my fellowship relationship with Him. These relationships are interdependent. I have you because I have Him, but I grow to know Him more because I have you. That's the principle that we're learning today. There are things about God you will never learn apart from relationships with other believers. What did we say last weekend? That we grow to... Love Him more by knowing Him more. How do we grow to know Him more? One of the ways is fellowship with other believers. There are things about God I would never learn. Think about it in the context of marriage. How many married people in the room today? Let me see your hands. All right, so you know what I'm about to say. There's some stuff you couldn't learn. Right? There were some changes that I needed to make in my life. Nobody loved me enough to tell me until I had a wife. (laughs) 
She didn't have a problem with it at all, right? <laughs> Little things like sometimes when I'm in conversation with somebody, I will assume in my mind I already know where they're going, and so I'll just jump right in and cut them off. She said, babe, did you know that you do that? And I cut her right off and said, babe, I don't do that at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> but there were some changes that I, I needed. I, didn't, I couldn't see them. I had to have somebody else walking close with me to show me that because I couldn't see it in my perspective. There was some truth that I needed to discover that I couldn't discover without my wife. For example, I grew up in the South, but I was a picky eater. I didn't know that until I got married, I didn't know that pinto beans and cornbread and fried potatoes went so good together. <laughs> that was the truth that I needed to discover. But I had to be around somebody else to learn that. Hey, there's some stuff in our lives, spiritually, that needs to be sharpened. There's some stuff in your walk that you cannot see. And nobody else is going to see it if all you do is pop in here on Sunday for an hour and a half with your smile on. But when you get in community and you begin to do life with some other believers, guess what? That stuff comes up. It surfaces. They get to see it. They get to come alongside you and help challenge you to grow. There's some truth that you'll never learn about God. Man, I've been in small group settings now for 20, over 20 years of my life. And I just hear people say things in small group contexts, and oh, it just challenges me. And God teaches me stuff and gives me illustrations and shows me things in my own life through being in fellowship with other people. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's the principle. We sharpen one another. That, that principle, iron sharpening iron, they would take the old iron tools, tools or weapons, and you've seen them, they would clang them together like this. And in doing that, they would sharpen one another. Doesn't do any good to wave them out here. You see, what community does is it forces us in there together, and we begin to sharpen one another in ways we could not be sharpened without each other. The Bible word for this is fellowship. Let me give you a definition of fellowship. Fellowship is living out our relationship with God together with other believers. That's fellowship. Living out our relationship with God together with other believers. Let me just ask you this question. When I say that, who comes to your mind? Not who are the other Christians that you know. Who are the other followers of Jesus that you are living out your relationship with God together with them? For most of you, I hope you begin to think about your small group. Those people that you're doing life with, that you're walking with, that you are engaged with. Those people that are challenging you and exposing you to new truth and taking you deep in your love relationship with God. Hear me. That's not just a program of the church. Small groups is what you're supposed to do to be a good Christian. No, you were born again to enjoy fellowship with other believers. And as we get together in small groups and as we do life together, we enjoy this biblical fellowship. Same thing happened in the early church. Look at Acts chapter 2. We read it a moment ago. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Look at the very next verse, verse 42. 
They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. You hear it? They came to know Christ, and nobody said, okay, here's the program. Here's what we're going to do. No, they just started getting together. The natural outflow of their relationship with God was they wanted to be with other Christians. In both small groups, they gathered house to house, and large groups, they would gather in the temple courts. The apostles would teach the Word of God. And at Hope, that's exactly what we've tried to do. We've tried to model our church after the New Testament, where we gather once a week to, to hear the Word of God taught for worship corporately, and then we gather house to house in small groups to do life together, to live in fellowship, so that we can go deeper in our love relationship with God. Because the church is where Jesus established this fellowship to be lived out. Let me give you a definition of the church. The church is a local community of baptized believe, baptized Jesus followers. Uniting together under biblical leadership to share in the mission of Christ. That's what we are. We're a local community of baptized Jesus followers. Who've united together under biblical leadership to share in the mission of Christ. That's where fellowship takes place. Now let me close by asking this question. Why is this such a big deal? Well, it's such a big deal because, number one, there's a personal implication. I said in the beginning, you'll never know God's best for you apart from fellowship. If you're a Christian and you're trying to live outside of fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm not talking about just coming to church on Sunday. Hear me. I'm talking about involved in community with other... If you're trying to do it on your own, your Christianity will never be the best that it could be. Just won't. Your walk with God won't be the best it could be. Your family dynamic won't be the best it could be. You won't be the best husband or wife or mother or father or son or daughter or aunt or uncle or friend or co-worker. You just won't. So there's a personal implication why this is important, but there's an even bigger reason why it's so important. There's a missional implication. The world will never know God apart from our fellowship. You see, God's plan is that our relationship with each other so reveals Jesus to the world that they are drawn to Christ by seeing the difference He's made in us. It's reconciliation, it's reconciliation this direction, horizontally, that gives evidence that this vertical reconciliation has taken place. As the world looks at us, one of the terms that's used in the Bible for the church is the body of Christ. How do you know I'm real? Because <laughs> I got a body. You can see me. You can touch me. How does the world know God is real? They got to see His body. We're the body of Christ. As we live in fellowship with one another, as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we do life together, as we care for one another, guess what the world says? Man, there must be something to this Jesus because I can see him in them. Let me show it to you. One last verse and we're done. 1 John 4, 12. Look on the screen. He said, no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another... God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. They hadn't seen God. How do they see Him? In our love for one another. That's why, that's why Jesus said, By this all men will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. 
following Jesus is about a love relationship with God. But it's also about an intimate love relationship with your brother and sister in Christ where there's fellowship, community, doing life together. Lay that paradigm down on your life. Are you living that out? 